Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Market and Cut podcast, your review of the week just gone in markets and an inside look into the topics that we've been discussing this week at Quilt Achievement. I'm Anthony Webb, Investment Manager on our Managed Portfolio Service, and today I'm joined by podcast regular Richard Carter, our Head of Fixed Interest Research, and Jamie Maddock, our Energy and Materials Equity Analyst. Good morning to you both. So last week we had monthly inflation data from the US, always keenly monitored by markets as investors tried to gauge how close the Fed are getting to getting inflation under control. US wholesale prices were up 0.3% month on month, which is a higher number than expected. And this did cause some weakness in US bond and equity markets. We saw technology companies in particular giving back some of their strong gains from 2023 so far. But despite those strong wholesale inflation numbers, consumer price inflation data came in pretty flat, only a small rise of 16 basis points month on month. So there's some mixed signals at the moment. Richard, we'll come to you first. Was there anything in last week's inflation numbers that changed your view on the short term path for interest rates in the US? Uh, not really, Anthony. I mean, you're right. There are some mixed signals on inflation, but I guess that's that's, that's not unusual uh, at the moment. I think big picture, uh, the, you know, pressures certainly are. Uh, coming down a bit. Uh, producer prices were a bit stronger than expected. But then if you look at um, core consumer inflation, last couple of months, it's been running about the sort of 0.2% level. So, you know, if you annualise that, you, you're sort of looking around the sort of 2 to 3% uh, on an annual basis. So I think the Fed probably can afford to, uh, you know, sit out the next meeting, hopefully in September and kind of wait and see what the uh, delayed impact is of all their of all their rate hikes. So as I say, yeah, um, big big picture is inflation pressures are coming down. Not you know, battles not won or anything like that, but um, certainly a lot better situation than it was sort of six to nine months ago. Absolutely, and um, you know we're still seeing uh, a decent amount of strength in the U.S. labor market. Wage growth now exceeding inflation, um, low unemployment rates. There are some signs potentially of a possible weakening. You know, we had uh, earnings update last week from Zip Recruiter, the US job search company. They reported a significant fall in Q2 revenues due to a decline in job postings. So some early signs there that workers may be losing some of their bargaining power if fewer jobs are being posted online. Um, we hear a lot of talk about the inflationary wage price spiral. Um, do you think we'll have to see significant weakness in US jobs markets before inflation will finally be put back in the bag yeah i mean i think to have sort of you know inflation sustainably and it's you know supplies the uk as well as the us you know inflation sustainably at sort of two two and a half percent you know you've got to get uh wages down a little bit you can't have sort of wages running at four to five percent uh, as they are in the states and, and then have you know inflation two percent along the long you know over the longer term the question is does the fed need to Kind of raise rates next month to kind of make that happen quicker probably not they can probably hold on but over time you know you would expect um to need some weakness in in, in labor markets uh, uh before they can really declare the battle uh, over and, and particularly begin to cut rates because obviously markets are starting to speculate about when they might actually be cutting but that doesn't look uh on the horizon you know on the immediate horizon at the moment but the you know the soft landing narrative the sort of goldilocks narrative is very much taken hold uh for the time being right and a lot of the inflation data that we refer to is is core you know it's excluding more volatile inputs like food and energy prices that are harder for central banks to directly influence 
And yet those two factors are quite crucial components of consumer budgets. They have meaningful impacts on discretionary incomes and company input costs and the relative spending power within the economy. Um, we saw oil prices rise last week for their sixth consecutive week after generally falling for the first half of 2023. Any concerns over the direction of energy prices as we push into the second half of the year? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely Jamie's area of expertise in some ways, but I guess just from a bond market and interest uh, rate perspective, it is, it is, a, it is a concern because, um, you know, last thing you want is just as kind of inflation seems to be under control a little bit more and things heading in the right direction. And then you're going to go and get a, a massive spike in energy prices. And the other one I always kind of keep an eye on, uh, as I'm sure Jamie does, is sort of natural gas prices. And you saw quite a bit of a spike uh, in, in those over the last week or so. And they have sort of you know, quite a big impact on um, uh, utility bills, particularly here in the UK. So, yes, there, there are there are some concerns, but I think, like you said, the main you know, the main issue at the moment on the inflation front is is kind of wages and where they are. Um, we'll just have to keep an eye on um, what energy prices do. I mean, you know, always kind of worry what what might happen ahead of the winter and given what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine. But hopefully um, the market's uh, a little bit better prepared this time. Absolutely. Okay, so as you say, you know, good time to bring in Jamie, our energy materials analyst. Uh, Jamie, what's what's been driving those recent moves upwards in the oil price? Is this a story of strong demand or is it constrained supply? So a bit of both, and we'll, we'll break that down a little bit into the two different components of the oil market. So to put that in perspective, you know, Brent prices now have surpassed their high for the year last week. Um, so that was just over $86 a barrel, 15% up now in the last three months. So some strength there, and that's primarily driven by the, the supply side, really. So Saudi Arabia have consistently cut a million barrels from the market, and that's really been hugely supportive for the price. On top of that, we've seen greater compliance from Russia as well. So if you recall, last year, Russia had outlined that it would make similar cuts, not to the same quantum, but similarly similar degrees of cuts relative to their production base from their um from their oil production but really didn't deliver against that so there was a high degree of skepticism really in the market as to whether we do that so actually we've seen cuts coming through and maybe modestly better on the demand side but not maturely so but it's important i think we should contrast that and this is quite stark so the differences here contrast that with the refined product market so this is the things that you use in your car in the ship in the plane i mean those prices of those products are up 30 percent in the last three months and that is a little bit more i would say about the demand side than the supply side so yes there's been some supply outages from refineries in the us which are important but actually demand and it's this point around the, the outlook really for the for uh, the type of recession or whether there'll be some sort of soft landing that narrative of a soft landing is started to pick up and really gather a bit of momentum so actually it's the forward-looking view that demand is continues to be i don't know it's not strong but reasonably strong you know we're in the peak driving season in the us we also have mobility increasing quite sharply as we all fly around in our summer holidays but also added to that this year relative to last year chinese mobility has also picked up as they fly around a lot more so at least for the refined product prices it's definitely a demand side driven thing and you know there's been quite a significant pickup there um, I guess the backdrop for all of this and why we have such sharp volatility, you think, well, 
the markets are not super tight. So why have we seen prices skip higher as we have done? And it's primarily because inventory levels have been depleted. So basically excess storage or product which is st stored in excess of what is need has been depleted and depleted for several years now, basically from the trough that we had in uh, in COVID in 2021. And that means the market becomes very sensitive to these imbalances in the market over a somewhat short time periods. And hence why we get these somewhat um, strong price rises over a shorter time period than you might ordinarily see in the cycle. Right. And those energy price kind of fluctuations must be difficult for uh, the energy companies themselves to deal with. I mean, obviously, higher oil prices translate to better revenues for oil companies. Um, how are the how are the US and European oil majors? Um, how dependent are they with a rallying on a rallying oil price at this moment in time? So it's by far the most important thing. Um, and, and put it in context for the sort of, I guess the, the way you'd say is the the correlation between sales and earnings with respect to oil. That is the primary driver. Second to that is gas and, and liquid natural gas prices. But to put it in context, you, if it's if it's a one to one relationship, it's not quite, but it's a little bit less. You might get sort of one to point two to point three for gas and a little bit less for refined products. So what's interesting, though, however, about this cycle relative to ordinary, particularly as it relates to the integrated, is that there's normally an inverse relationship between oil prices and product prices. So what I mean by that is you get high oil prices and you get low um, product margins because, of course, the oil price is used to go into the refined product, whether it be gasoline, kerosene, etc. But because we've got these depleted inventories and because we've had this, I guess, shifting of supply lines because of the disruption caused by uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, actually, there's a fairly strong positive correlation now between oil and product prices, which is super unusual. I mean, normally, you'd buy these businesses for the, the negative correlation there between oil and product prices. So that, you know, another way of saying it is, is that they're integrated and in a downturn, a fall in earnings in one component of the business is 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 offset by a rise in another component. But actually, we're in this sort of unusual period at the moment whereby we have above average oil prices and above average, in, in recent terms at least, um, refined product margins. So that is really boosting earnings in a way that we haven't seen before. Hence, um, you know, some of the yeah, some of the earnings numbers and the, the amount of excess cash these businesses are generating is is by far the highest it's been in, in quite some period of time. And some of the attractive returns um, they've been able to be able to capture. Added to that, I mean, we've got these unusual anomalies. So talking to the gas market at the moment, uh, Richard made the comment about European gas prices spiking. And that's, you know, again, we're, we're trying to reduce our, in, our, our dependence upon Russia at a time where there's not an awful lot of excess gas in the market. Add to that, you've got minor disruptions. So very recently, there was a there was a prospect, um, not even a, an actual uh, strike, but there's a prospect of a strike at an Australian LNG facility, which they're in discussions around pay. And that led to this very, very sharp rise in European gas prices. So we've seen a, we've seen a sharp fall in the prices from where they were uh, start of the year through winter. But in fact, just in the last yeah, in the last month, we've seen them rally back up quite strongly. So as it relates to winter, we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, but it really comes down to weather, which is entirely unpredictable. Whether we're not going to see something that resembles last year, 
Um, we're certainly not with an upside price spike, but where we go from here, we're definitely within the realms of seeing the prices push higher from here on gas. And as a result of that, power prices in Europe and that, yeah, it's entirely dependent upon um, how cold it's going to be. We've reduced our dependence upon Russia to substantially, but there's still about 15 percent of gas supply coming from from Russia. So were they to switch off their supply completely and would see a cold winter, well, that that is that is going to be a very difficult situation for um, European uh, European power prices and UK for that matter as well. So to some extent, um, holding those oil majors in you know our UK, US, European equity exposures give us some degree of protection against that scenario playing out. Yes, exactly. Um, and obviously, there's there's longer term challenges uh, facing energy companies and society in general. Is obviously the the push towards decarbonisation. Um, some commentators have highlighted that the transition to green energy will cause a higher level of inflation in future, or that we should expect energy prices to fluctuate considerably as the transition takes place. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And is there anything energy companies can do to address it? I agree entirely with the latter point. I think the one thing that is certain is that we're going to see highly volatile prices across the energy mix. I mean, we've seen, you could say you've seen the result of the impact of the, of the significant cutback in spending on conventional oil and gas projects already coming through from the somewhat de minimis supply growth that we have. So we're primarily been driven by regions so oil supply growth has been primarily driven by regions that were already growing prior to covid and we don't that's you don't really see that emerging anywhere else because in real terms oil and gas companies are not spending any more this year versus last year so basically holding adjusting for inflation holding the amount that they're spending on oil and gas fields flat which you know that's maybe contrary to what many would hope for in the sense of trying to accelerate the transition but that you know, that is consistent with the, the Paris Agreement by not spending any more than they currently are. I know that's short of what some people would like to see, however. Added to that, though, because of the impact of, of higher interest rates, we've actually seen energy companies pulling back from the spending on renewable projects. So from the perspective of volatility, that is another area whereby you would hope to have seen, I guess, a sharp increase in renewable project energy output. Um, because of inflation in the system, because of the compression and returns that these projects can deliver, energy companies have been pulling back and they were a major driver of the push in renewable energy output. So from the perspective of new supply coming to offset any decline in fossil fuel oriented power um, supply, that is obviously not helpful for, dim for dampening down any volatility. Second to that, just broadening out a little bit, is utilities have exhibited similar characteristics. So this is not a phenomenon that's restricted to the energy companies in the context of traditional fossil fuel energy companies, but also utility companies have also been talking about the impact of higher rates and the impact of higher inflation and the materials that are used to construct offshore renewable energy projects in particular, and how that has compressed margins for them. And these projects are no, no longer as attractive as they once were and become far less compelling as investments from the returns perspective than they have been understand the societal drive that there is to try and increase renewable energy power and i think it really has to be driven by a centralized focus by the governments to try and underpin uh, the the returns of these projects will deliver to the energy companies because at the end of the day they will not invest into projects that give sub cost of capital returns and i think the only other thing 
beyond the sort of a centralized government approach to try and ensure a, a, the correct environment for these companies to invest in is really the consumer side of it. I mean, last year we saw a sharp reduction in consumer use of power, and that made a huge difference to, to mitigating the impact of the, um, the decline in Russian gas supply into Europe. And it really made um, a meaningful difference. It might not have felt that way. Obviously, power prices are significantly higher than they, what they were in prior years, but they could have been far worse had people not constrained their energy use. And I think that's probably the single most important takeaway and often overlooked really is the impact of the consumer and the end user of power and the end user of uh, any fossil fuel and the impact that that could possibly have to dampening down the effect. We, we saw throughout Europe some efforts made by governments to try and ensure that consumers were aware of the, the positive impact they could have on, on price by constraining use. and. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, further messaging around that should we see a, a situation arise again where we see these sharp increases in power prices. Interesting stuff. Yeah, certainly some short term and long term challenges for the energy companies and also policymakers at the moment. Um, Jamie, thank you very much for your insights and Richard as well. Um, thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. That's it for this week. Um, if today's podcast has prompted any questions that you'd like to put to Richard or Jamie or any other member of the research team, please do get in touch. You can contact us uh, by clicking on the contact us button on the weekly comments page on our website, www.quiltachieviot.com. And if you don't want to miss future episodes, please be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening and goodbye.